we have a lot of cash in here and you know i explained to them you know i can put you in things that i think have have good returns but i want the liquidity you know we're giving up the liquidity um sometimes you can sit in cash and lose that little bit because of you know the inflation loss but have an opportunity you know a year from now that's much better than if you decided i don't want to sit in cash i want to go into the markets and now you're down eight percent Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans Podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. Guys, we have a very special guest on today. We are so excited about having him on. He's been in this industry for more than 20 plus years. He was a senior vice president at Cap Wealth Management, where he started. And now he runs an incredible co-founder, Kingwood's Family Office, which is a division of Benchmark Investments, where they do a lot of the uh, family office services and really helping. We're going to be talking a lot about kind of uh, what a lot of people like to call the boring stuff, but it's very, very important important. It is the tax planning versus tax reporting. It is really understanding the legacy planning versus the financial planning. And we're going to be differentiating those two. And obviously what he is able to do and what he's been able to do for his clients and so many high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals. Please welcome my next guest. Like I mentioned, the co-founder of Kingwood's family office, the one and only Matt Nielsen. How are you doing today, Matt? Good, Christian. How are you? I am doing fantastic, man. I'm excited about diving into this because one of the things I was talking, uh, like I just mentioned in the in the beginning here, you've been in the industry for many, many years, going, you know, starting from, you know, see a senior VP at Cap Wealth Management to now obviously running your own family office with Kingwood uh, Family Office. And Matt, I want to ask you, there, you know, in your journey before we dive into all the fun stuff here, what what were how is your investment thesis philosophy? your perspective, how has it evolved over the many, many years being in this industry? Well, it's been an interesting journey and it really started uh, in college. I had an internship with, uh, back then it was Donaldson, Lufkin, Genret, um, you know, DLJ, many people knew it and uh, was bought by Credit Suisse, which is very timely uh, in today's world. Um, and I was uh, interning in the stock brokerage world they dealt with a lot of high net worth individuals, but um, I didn't love the lack of team atmosphere that was there. It was every broker ran his own business and he was kind of in, in competition with the guy that had the office next door. You know, I come from a, a team sports background and I was like, you know, if we're all, we're all playing for the same team, let's help each other. Um, when I moved back from Chicago back to the East Coast, um, they had owned Equitable at the time, and they hooked me up with the Equitable on the insurance side. So I really got to learn the insurance side of the business inside and out, first starting my career. Um, but I didn't love that either because I was getting introduced in, in circles with athletes and entertainers and high net worth individuals. and. The, you know, an insurance policy or an annuity could solve all the world's financial problems, according to an insurance company. And I was like, no, there's more to it than this. There's more, you know, I wanted to get in the investing side. So that kind of pivoted me to the independent broker dealer side, because I didn't want to go to that wire house or that DLJ type firm. Um, and that's where I got involved with um, and learned a lot about alternative investing in using assets that don't correlate with the stock and bond market as part of a portfolio. By adding that other those other verticals, uh, the alternative investing, which we're going to be diving in here shortly, and you know tax mitigation strategies and, and your services, but adding those other verticals to your overall kind of repertoire or, or toolbox, how has that helped you really in in you know in these uncertain times? Whether it's a positive just a few years ago, you know up market, or it's a down market, regardless of what's happening in the market at a macro level, you know how to navigate it because of the immense um, you know experience and your vehicles. Uh, and skill set that you have. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it goes back to what David Swenson always, always taught with the endowment style of investing and what he did at Yale. And a lot of people that worked under him that, you know, went to other endowments and, and took his philosophy of investing and continued it there. It, it, if you look at what an endowment does, you, you know, at first it wants to protect its assets and provide an income stream to the university, but also have it continue to grow for decades to come. I think when you look at a high net worth individual, it, it's kind of, the, it's the same philosophy. Um, 
first they, they're already wealthy. They, we need to protect their wealth or protect their legacy in, 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 one, in some cases um, and then continue uh, to give them an income stream while they're alive but protect their beneficiaries for generations to come. So it's the same style. And if you can do things that don't correlate to the stock and bond market, you take a lot of the emotion that the stock and bond market has of investing when you see people, you know, when you see the market up 500, down 500, you know, sometimes that's just emotional investing. People, uh, you know, it's very common for people to pull out when the market goes down and go back in after it goes up, which is kind of the opposite of what you, you, you wanna do. Um, with the with with non-correlated assets or assets that don't have a daily NAV, you take that emotion out of the investing, um, and you don't have the highs and lows. Um, alternative investing doesn't necessarily mean more risk either. It could be things that are very boring and very plain and throw off a six or seven percent yield. And if if the market's up thirty, you know you're still getting six or seven. Um, sometimes it's just very boring, but it kind of steadies that road instead of, you know, if you look at a chart of your portfolio, we don't want the roller, we don't want it to look like a roller coaster. Okay, so this makes sense. And you mentioned endowment style of investing, and we're, we're going to talk about that here shortly. What that, that seems to be your uh, North Star in regards to how you think about the markets, right? And Matt, um, what was that evolution like? Why did that become kind of your North Star, if you will? And what do you see in regards to that, that kind of strategy, um, you know, outpacing other different strategies, per se? Um, it, you know, it, it was more given a level of, of protection from the markets. Um, and, and I don't know, sometimes, you, you know, it won't outpace other strategies. You know, if, if you tell me we're going to have, you know, five, four years of up 15, 20 percent every year, then our portfolio is going to underperform because we're going to have some of those non-correlated assets that are only doing that six or seven percent, no matter what the market does. So if, if you know, if you want to compare it to an S&P fund that's going to, you know, average 17 percent over a three year, we're underperforming because we have that certain part of the portfolio that is you know, only doing six or 7%. Um, having said that, when you have uh, you know, a March of 2020 when the pandemic hit and you know, those review meetings were a little easier to swallow when every client was saying in, in April and May, wow, my account's not down as much as I thought it would be. You know, why, why is that? And you know, it was, you know, we underperformed a little bit when it was up 20, 25 a year. Um, but, uh, you know, this is why we do it. And it's part of, it's part of protecting your assets or securing your legacy. I lost you, Christian, you froze. Yeah, yeah, I think I think when you deal with high net worth individuals, um, you know, and people with uh, with uh, net worths of five or ten million and up, um, they do their own. You know, they got rich for a reason, and they do their own business opportunities to make them richer. If that's what they if that's what they're doing, or they own a business that is still very successful, um, you know, I, I don't think our job is to invest somebody's money and make them rich. Um, our job is to give them the best performance we can give them while taking the least amount of risk. And it's often we look at portfolios. Uh, we just got a client recently um, has a $5 million portfolio, um, a very kind of plain vanilla allocation that you'd see, you know, equity, a little bit of bonds. And we said, you know, we can give you the same return that you've been getting, but reduce your beta by by 15 or 20, you know, why wouldn't you take less risk for the same return? And sometimes it's just tweaking somebody's portfolio to do that. He has a very successful business. He makes a lot of money every year. Um, the, you know, told us, I don't need this money. I'm in my seventies. I don't need this money. I'm still making money. This is my, you know, going to be my kid's money. So we really sat down and said, why are you taking this risk or unnecessary risk?
Sure. I, I, when we sit down with a, with a prospective client or somebody you're meeting for the first time, once you get over the, you know, what do you do for a living, you know, your age, you know, do you have kids, you're married, you know, once you get over, get through that, those things, we actually start talking about um, taxes even before we get into their portfolio. They always want to jump in and, and hand you their statements and say, this is what I have. But we want to take a look at the broader picture first. Um, and with the one question we always ask clients, and um, um, it's always an interesting reaction, um, we ask them, do you, you know, about their CPA and who does your taxes? And if it's not somebody we know, we say, is he a tax planner or a tax preparer? And nine times out of 10, they think about it and they don't really know the difference. And we say, you know, is he somebody that you're strategizing with throughout the day, throughout the year to minimize your taxes for that year? Or is he the guy you go to in February and in March and hand him all your K-1s and 1099s and W-2s and say, here, do my taxes. And he tells you, you should do a little more in your SEP or your IRA, or, you know, you can knock off a couple thousand dollars more by doing that. Um, you know, that's a tax preparer. Um, you know, with my part with my partner, Rick and Patel, he's a CPA. He has a tax practice that, you know, with it, along with his family that they run. We're not necessarily looking for their to do their tax returns. We don't need, you know, just about anybody can do the tax preparation. We're looking to do the tax planning. So we really want to talk about what planning they're doing throughout the year to minimize their taxes from an income standpoint. And then certainly if they have some event that year, you know, selling a business, selling a highly appreciated asset, uh, selling real estate. So, you know, those, those are things that we want to talk to about how we mitigate those taxes in that year as well. So it really we start first with the tax planning um, and we get introduced to a lot of people that are in that situation. We got it. You know, we may get introduced to somebody because they're selling a business. Um, and then, you know, once you save them, you know, a lot of money on their taxes, it's not hard to get the wealth management business after that. Um, you know, you've already established that trust and that credibility, but uh, by sa saving somebody a lot of money on their taxes is making them a lot more money than we ever can, you know, with the return on their investments or the whether they use the endowment model of investing or uh, correlated or non-correlated assets in their portfolio. If we can save them money on their taxes, that's real, where the real uh, return is. Um, you, you know, to, to start off, it's basic uh, financial planning and retirement planning. A lot of people aren't taking full advantage of, you know, what the IRS allows you to do, you know, if you're in a closely held business to put away money for you and your employees. Some people, you know, maybe they only have a 401k and they're not even matching it. You know, there's other there's other type of plans that are available. So we, we would kind of start there. Um, there's other things, you know, there's oil and gas programs, there's other types of tax mitigation programs. It's really different for uh, different businesses and different individuals. We work with a lot of people that are just high income earners, you know, whether they're professional athletes or in the entertainment world or things like that. You know, they just, uh, and sometimes in the entertainment world, you know, they have a, a really, really big year and then the next year, not so much. And then the next year they have two more movies that come out. So. Um, it's a, their income's a little bit of a roller coaster, so there's a lot of planning that goes goes, uh, goes into that. Um, so it, it, it's different for every person, but you know if you're just working with, you know if you don't have a team around you. Now we set up Kingswood Family Office for if you want to use all of our services, you know we have the team in place. 
we can do your tax mitigation. We can even do your tax planning if you want us to. We have the wealth management. We have the insurance division. You know, we have the concierge and the legal contacts to do estate. And, and if you're selling a business or litigation, we have all those attorney contacts as well. If you don't use us for all your services and you don't necessarily need a family office, you still have to have your accountant that works with your insurance person that works with your wealth management person. And if they're not all meeting together on a regular basis, then things are gonna fall through the cracks. Um, we, at Kingswood Family Office, we provide a solution where we may only do tax mitigation for some clients, like a lot of family offices, single family offices that we work with. That's all we do for them. Um, they don't need our insurance services and wealth management. But there's some people that you know you can come in under one umbrella and we can take care of all those things and make sure things don't fall through the cracks. If you're working with, you know, say a wirehouse person, which you know, I, I have dear friends that work at wirehouses, I'm not putting them down. I have, you know, I have friends that work at some of the top firms that, you know, I would give my money to and trust them with my life. Um, but there's certain things that they're not allowed to do there for compliance reasons. Um, you know, they can't talk tax mitigation planning with their clients. You know, compliance will come down and say, you know, you're not a CPA, you can't talk about it. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough in our family office, I have a partner who's a CPA. And, you know, quite frankly, in my 20 plus years of business, he's probably the most intelligent person that I've ever, I've ever worked with. Um, so I'm lucky to have somebody like that that I can rely on. I'm certainly not sitting there giving tax advice. Um, but uh, but I have uh, we have the team in place. So I think most people, um, they have pieces of the team, but they're not working together. Yeah, we, we have, you know, we tell clients we want to meet with them. And sometimes now certainly it's just a Zoom with, with the team, which is even easier than having them come into the office. Um, at least quarterly, you know, some, some people that turns into two or three times a year because they push a meeting and now all of a sudden we're in May. Um, sometimes we're talking to people, depending on what we're working on, it could be several times a month we're having calls with them and then it kind of falls off a little bit once we get the planning done. Um, but let's just take somebody that we want to meet quarterly. Every quarter we kind of have a, you know, we're always reviewing the portfolio. We're always talking about life changes, what's going on with the business, what's going on with the family. You know, is there any, any life changes there? Um, you know, but we have certain concentrations that we'll work on each quarter. For example, first quarter is really, we're starting a wealth management strategy. This is what we're looking to do this year. Um, second, second quarter, uh, we'll certainly review insurance. Um, that could be all insurance, their life insurance policies, their, their, um, you know, PNC, uh, you know, do you need to go to our PNC guy and, and look at, look at what you have going on there. Maybe they bought a house, maybe they sold a house, maybe they bought a boat, you know, or certain things that uh, we need to look at there. Um, and then it's really, end of second quarter, beginning of third quarter, you really start talking about tax. Um, unless they had an event, like they sold sold a business or sold uh, a property earlier, you know, the, July, August, you're starting to get an idea what kind of year you're having. Um, what does the income look like? Here are some tax strategies that we're looking at this year that that might work best. Um, and so that that tax conversation really starts then and can go all the way to December 31st. Um, you know, and then and then fourth quarter is more about um, you know we're still talking about a state uh, tax, but then we get into a state. Are there do we need to do any changes with wills, trusts, anything like that? Any health issues? Any any of those things? So each quarterly review, we have a different theme that we'll focus on, um, but we'll always talk about wealth management. You know, we'll always talk about tax, really. Uh, but the specific focus is really that third quarter. We start looking at. Um, 
what kind of year a person's having and, and what do they need this year. Yeah, it, you hit the nail on the head that with the, you said the key word was liquidity. Um, that is at the forefront of every decision we make, especially when it comes to the alternative side. Because when you know when you're in a stock and bond portfolio, you have you know uh, traditionally you have just about full liquidity at all times. Um, with the alternative side, you don't. That's one of the things you give up for that steady return and steadying the road and not having the daily NAV roller coaster. Um, so we have to manage liquidity in a couple ways. One is what are the client's needs or potential needs? And we wanna make sure that if something bad happens, their business goes bad or you know, uh, COVID happens and you know, they're not making as much money as they used to make or you know, those things that we have enough money that is liquid that we don't have to worry about their, the illiquid assets. So we wanna make sure the liquidity is there for their cash flow in their investment needs. Secondly, we want to watch liquidity for market situations. So I'll give you an example now. We're looking at assets today that are less liquid than we might have two years ago um, because we do believe that a recession is coming. Um, we do believe that a year from now it's going to be a tough market. We also believe that two years from now there's going to be some great opportunities out there for some distressed investing. You know, if you just want to take the real estate sector right now, I may not be jumping into multifamily right now, but two years from now, you know, we could have a lot of multifamily properties that are selling at a significant discount of what they are today. And we want to make sure we have the liquidity in our clients' portfolios to take advantage of what we think is coming. Um, and whether it's two years from now or three years from now, I don't know. But I want to be careful today that I'm not putting something, even if, say, they, they never need the money. You know, don't worry about this money. I'm never touching it. It's for my great-grandkids. We still want to have the liquidity to take advantage of the, quote-unquote, sales that are coming two to three years from now. Um, so you have to manage liquidity in two ways. One is their, their, the client's needs, you know, liquidity needs. And the other is looking ahead where we think alternative opportunities growth opportunities are coming. Um, so today we're probably investing in, in, you know, we'd love to see something that maybe, you know, we'll tie up money for a couple of years, but we, we certainly, we want to be careful with the assets that we're tying up for five or seven years.
That's exactly right. Can you come and talk to some of my clients? So you said that perfectly. I, I think that's part of it. I think part of it, they're, they're sitting on the dry power, powder um, because they, they think there's better opportunities down the road like like we are. I mean, we're not making that up. There's a lot of people that have the same opinion we are, we, we have. Um, I also think, you know, we've just gone through, you know, a year, year and a half where there's been no IPOs and things like that that there was a couple of years ago during the SPAC craze and everybody was dumping money into it because it was just going to go public again. You know, I think a lot of people put money into private equity um, and allocated that 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 portion, that bucket of, of their allocation to private equity and they haven't had the IPO events. They're still sitting in these private equity funds that they thought they'd have liquidity a year ago. So they're hesitant to put more money into those buckets until they see some IPO events. Um, so, and I think you're also seeing, you know, some investment banking firms that uh, need to start generate some revenue that they didn't have last year. You know, maybe this IPO craze starts again, you know, uh, maybe with the tech sector first, I don't know. But, um, you know, once it does, that I think that, it starts a cycle again. When they have liquidity, they'll find new private equity deals to go in. I think everybody's just kind of sitting on, at, you know, pausing right now because the stuff they thought was going to be liquid last year, there wasn't any, you know, liquidity events. Um, so, you know, ev everybody's just in pause and they think, all right, maybe it's just, maybe we just sit on this and wait for a year or two when there's better opportunities. Uh, we we do a little bit of a, a little bit of both, and we're not partial to one or the other. We want the best opportunities, um, and sometimes it's the best uh, you know the the best allocation. Um, for example, you know we're both an RIA and BD. Uh, we're a broker dealer as well, which is a little bit unusual in the family office world. But you know our our broker dealer at Kingswood, you know we 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 also have a investment banking team. So it allows us to do bring those deals to other family offices and, and do that investment banking work. Um, so I'm duly licensed, uh, as just about everybody is at Kingswood and certainly everybody uh, at the family office. We're, we're duly licensed, so we can do both sides. On the RIA side, we may do more funds. We may put just some money with an asset manager um, that is buying, like in today's market, um, you know, when I talk about less risk, let's just take the S&P, for example, somebody who is vested in S&P type stocks will invest them in that, but will do it in a structured note environment where they have some downside protection. Um, and maybe they protect themselves for 10 or 15% on the downside. Now, when you do that, you got to give something up on the upside. But right now with the structured notes that are up there, it's capping you at 15, 16, 18% on the upside for the next year. Now, we certainly don't think the market's going to go up more than that, so we're perfectly willing. And if we're wrong and the market's up 25 and our client only got 18, so be it. We gave them that 10 or 15% downside protection. We may do that in a fund environment, so we're just not sitting there at our desks trading structured notes all day. We'll, 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 we'll give it to somebody else. We'll, we'll pay the fee on that and, and let them manage those structured notes. So that may be in a fund. The same thing with um, you know a real estate investment. We may go into a fund um, that'll do, let's just take multifamily as an example, that'll go buy multifamily investments, let them go find them, manage them, rather than put our clients in one building that's worth 40 million. We may have them get into a fund structure, get a piece. Now, 
we can also put them, you know, in individual deals as well. We have that capability. So um, I'm sorry that's not a more definitive answer, but it really it really depends is 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 the way we have the ability to do either. Yeah, I, th I think when you when you walk in, the first thing, just like we want to mitigate somebody's taxes, we want to protect what they've already built. And you know, even if you look at the, the page on, our, on the first page on our website, it says secure their like your legacy. That's really the foundation of what we do. But think of an endowment. Think of what David Swenson did at Yale. The first thing he needs to do is protect the endowment, and then give an income stream to the college. You know, an annual income stream. And then, you know, make sure that endowment lasts for decades. It's no different with, with an individual. The first thing we need to do is make sure we keep them risk. We don't want somebody buying, you know, individual stocks that could lose 50% of their net worth, um, you know, in, 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 in this market. You know, the, the, the foundation is to, to protect your, your, your legacy, protect what you have, and then go from there. Now, that, that's not to say we may not we may take 10% of their assets and do a private equity bucket and take a few flyers you know certainly on our private our private equity allocation we're not looking to do you know 7 8 10% a year you know we're looking for big returns on the private equity side and take advantage of opportunities but that's a very small part of their allocation um, and we can hit some home runs there, and then if we do hit some home runs, take the take the initial investment off the table, and use some of the profits to do other private equity investments. So again, we so we protected that original investment that they had, and then use the use the growth, uh, the gains to take other shots. No different with tax mitigation when you know you save somebody money on their taxes. You're really using the IRS's money to do other things. It, well, I'll put it back to you to how do you define success in your portfolio? Is it over the last five or six months or is it over a three-year period? So we, maybe we sit on cash and we have sat on cash in a lot of clients' portfolios the last six, eight months. Um, and so, some clients have called and be like, boy, we have a lot of cash in here. And, you know, I explained to them, you know, I can put you in things that I think have, have good returns, but I want the liquidity. You know, we're giving up the liquidity. Um Sometimes you can sit in cash and lose that little bit because of you know the inflation loss, but have an opportunity you know a year from now that's much better 
than if you decided, I don't want to sit in cash, I want to go into the markets, and now you're down 8%. Um, so I think the question I'll put back to you is how do you define success? If, you, if you're only looking at the last six months and you sat in cash and you say you lost over inflation, okay, maybe you did. But if that means we have cash available today to go into something that's going to earn you, you know, earn you a good return, well, I think a year from now or two years from now, you're going to look back and say that was a, that was a successful decision. Or that was a good decision. We didn't. We really didn't lose over that six months. So I think it depends on how you look look at it, and you know how do you how do you define you know what time period are you looking to be successful? Two months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think what you know when I started my career, and you know, you take anybody and anybody as a client when you're just getting out, getting out there, and you know, it was all about financial planning, retirement planning, and you know, what do you do? You know, take your allocation, and you want to retire at 65 years old, and live off of X amount a year. Well, if if they don't have enough money to do that right now, there's only certain things they could do. They can live on less. They can work longer or they can reallocate. That used to be the discussions that we had. And that was just straight financial planning and retirement planning. Um, and when I started working with higher net worth individuals, um, they started talking about their kids and their grandkids and what they wanted for them. And that a lot of the decisions they were making is was for them. Like, you know, I can't tell you how many people have said, like, I already have enough money. Like, I'm not I'm not using this money. It's it's about them. So that's what I pivoted to. We don't talk about, you know, financial planning first when we sit down with somebody. We talk about legacy planning um, because it, it's still about your goals and objectives. But people, you know, I think a lot of advisors sit down with people and they talk about the goals and objectives for that individual or that couple until they die. And then, okay, then we'll just deal with the estate planning and then your beneficiaries will get the rest. I think with legacy planning, you really get into what are, you, what are your long-term goals? What do you want your legacy to be? And I think that really resonates with people. Um, you know, not everybody are the, the Rockefellers or somebody like that, but uh, you know, they, they wanna leave something to their kids and they wanna leave something to their grandkids. And sometimes that's not, you know, doesn't mean they're leaving them $50 million. Sometimes it's, hey, I have this home in Florida. That's our vacation home and it's where everybody went. I want when I die for the family to always be able to keep that home. That's always gonna be there for them to go to, no matter where they live in the country. I always, and I wanna make sure we have enough money saved that they can afford to keep that home. And that could just be as simple as, as legacy planning is. It's not, it doesn't have to be big picture and create foundations and all those things. Sometimes it's just that's their goal. So when you go through somebody's assets, you know, what's your intent? And other people will go, you know, forget it. Just sell everything, give them the cash, and they can do whatever they want with it. Um, that's still legacy planning. It's pretty easy to do, but it's still legacy planning. Um, but I think, you, you know, if you really want to work with somebody and be close to somebody, be successful, uh, in their planning, it starts with their, what's their legacy? What do they want their legacy to be? Not just, let's just make sure we get them to when they die.
Yeah, I, I, that starts with the estate planning. Um, you really get into establishing trusts, and it's very important to choose the right people that control the trusts. Um, and sometimes it, it's you know sometimes it's protecting it from uh, idiot son or idiot daughter um, doing doing the wrong things or blowing up the business. But sometimes it, it's um, you know those those beneficiaries could be younger and still finding their way and don't know what they want to do. And you want to have the right gatekeepers in place where they're going to receive an income from the trust. And, and you want to make it so if you know they want to do some of those life events that the trustee has the ability to give them you know, more money than just the income to, to buy a home or, or car or go to college or go to grad school or, or do those things. But you also want to protect it so, God forbid, they have a drug or alcohol problem or a gambling problem or something like that that they're not going to drain the trust, you know, there's there's a gatekeeper there in boundaries, so they're not going to drain the family legacy because they have an addiction or or some other or some other problem or, you know, uh, or a spouse, you know, that, uh, you know, is going to take it all in a divorce or take half in a divorce or something like that. You want to make sure you protect those things um, for the unforeseen, because legacy planning could be for about great grandchildren that aren't even here yet. So you you know the the they're doing it for generations that the, they they haven't met, but would hope would come one day. Um, so you just uh, you know it, it, it's done through trust and the right trustees and having the you know having the right team in place. It goes back to having the team there to, to help support you. I just heard, I was, sorry, I was just at a conference recently and, and they talked about, um, you know, family legacy and bringing the family, you know, getting the family involved. And they talked about an annual family retreat and, and they strongly believe that you have to have this retreat and everybody has to attend and all the kids have to attend. And even if they're five, six, seven years old, they go to the retreat. Because eventually that five, six, seven-year-old is going to be a teenager, and you're going to start bringing them into some of the meetings. And they're going to want to be in the meetings because they've been in these retreats for years and never been in the meetings. They've just been you know, playing in the pool or out on the boat or whatever. It's been playtime for them. But then you start getting them involved in the meetings and getting involved in the process because that is going to become theirs one day. And they talked about the importance of the, the family retreat and, and making sure you involve everyone, including spouses. Don't don't take the spouse and keep them outside the doors. Bring them into the planning meetings so they know they know what's going on. Um, so I found that was uh, something I just heard recently that I thought was was a great point. Like get 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 the kids involved when they're five years old, not knowing that they're getting involved. Yep, that. Yep, they have it, and 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 they run. They advise other fam, single family offices, and they push everybody to do it. Whether it's a a summer retreat in Cape Cod or a ski trip, or you know, in the winter time, every everybody has their different things depending on what fits their family. But it, but it's a it's a long weekend every year that everybody goes to, including all the all the little kids. You have to include them. Um, because you want to start including them when they get older and they've already been there and know that the family's going to meetings and they want to be part of those. It makes them want to be part of those meetings.
you know, a lot of a lot of it's different per state laws. So, as an example, I I live in Jersey, so some of the rules are are a little different um, than it might be in in Massachusetts or even New York. Um, you know, I, I'll talk about me personally. We've set up our our we're just re, re, redoing it. I recently had a had a health scare that everything's okay, but it made you. Uh, you know, revisit what you have. I was almost like the shoemaker's kid who didn't have shoes. Um, you know, it's been too long since I've reviewed our wills and trusts. Um, but you know, we, we, my wife and I have set up a trust for the kids, um, that the, you know, we have a trustee that we, you know, that's a uh, like family. He's not family, but he's like, he's like family. Um, we know he'll always have the kids best interests. And if something happens to my wife and I, the kids will get an income stream from the trust and, you know, more if they need, but it's also protected for those events that we talked about. You know, if God forbid they have a drug or alcohol problem or gambling addiction or something like that, um, they're protected. Uh, but in that case, you know, I have two sons that are in college. Who knows who they're going to marry? But if they make a bad decision and it ends up going bad, the trust will protect those assets from the spouse. Um, you know, so, you know, those are things that, you know, just about anybody can do. It doesn't, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be worth 10 million to do something, something like that. Um, but, you, you know, you want to make sure you just have certain protections from, from bad decisions. Uh, maybe sometimes just liability issues. Um, you know, you want to protect it from li liability. Um, so, you know, you want to make sure that the, a good estate a planning attorney will, will put all those checks and balances in for you. Uh, well, our office is in uh, Battery Park in New York City, so uh, I'm part of Kingswood U.S. and it's Kingswood Family Office. Um, our website is kingswoodfo.com, and you can just go onto the website and there's a contact me section, and then it'll go uh, it'll go right to the team. Um, and uh, happy to talk to anybody and discuss things with anybody. You know, it's something you know we work with uh, a lot of a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. Um, but especially, you know, we can really help those high net worth, high income earners, you know, people, especially people going through that selling an asset, selling a business, selling a highly appreciated uh, real estate property. Um, those are people we can really help and uh, work with a lot of family, single family offices uh, on tax mitigation. Uh, I think in the beginning it was uh, I had access to high net worth individuals when I was still in my 20s and it was hard for them to look at somebody like you know somebody you know my age and say you know he can handle this for me again I was always part of a team I, I love that team environment I like working with other people um, I don't like being the lone soldier so I always had the team around me to to handle it um, but I think, um, I think I just talked to somebody, a young advisor recently, um, who reminded me of me 
And, and I said, don't worry about that. I know people look at you that way. Because he asked me about it. I said, don't, I know people look at you that way. You're a smart guy. You're good at what you do. Surround yourself with the right team members. And if it is that person um, that you think may have that, bring those team members in so he knows you, that you have a team around you. Um, but I think that was one of the hard things to overcome is um, may, maybe I shied away from a few people because I said, you know, they're not going to go with me because they're going to think I'm too young. Yeah. That was great. I I thought it felt great. I can't believe I just looked at the clock. I can't believe that was like 50 minutes. It just it just flies by. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it it's really a fine line because you, I don't want to I want to give you examples that I would give to a client, but there's things that like I could see my compliance department in the background going, "Don't say the name of the fund, don't say it," <laughs> you know, and and, and also it, it, it's um, you know, uh, with with some of our tax strategies that that we used a couple of years ago, my uh, my partner got approached that somebody wanted to write a magazine article about it. Uh, or do a piece on it and he was like you know they had a decision it was like nope it's too much uh spotlight we also don't want the irs irs coming in saying what are you doing and nothing we're doing is wrong but you never want to be it's all within the co code but nobody wants that knock on the door to say what kind of strategies are you doing um you know we're fortunate that we're only doing things that are under their broker dealer umbrella so they've been very very well vetted and you know we're not concerned and complies with all codes and there's a lot of opinions but uh you know it's a fine line that you know i could say tax mitigation it's hard to get into too many specifics um i think i said maybe oil and gas which is fine you know that's kind of a, a plain vanilla one but uh i can see my compliance officer listening to this going oh my god did he did he say the name of the fund We're, 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 what's up? We were on a call yesterday and uh, um, we're doing a, a beverage deal that uh, um, company they're looking for 10 million and we found, we actually found one guy that's going to take the whole 10 million and uh, he actually found somebody that's taking 10 million so he's getting like a referral fee and he said, um, I, I, I'm good to do it, everything's good, this is at the end of the call, he's like everything's good, I don't know how to paper this up. Like, I don't have a compliance department or somebody, you know, how do we put this on paper to make sure everything's in order? And my partner said, oh, if there's something we have, it's a lot of compliance officers here. So don't worry about that. They'll paper this up just fine. <laughs> we actually, our CEO was on the call and we were talking about which one of the three guys to give it to. And the guy was like, oh, you're deciding amongst three and you have one. It was like, yeah, we just, uh, we got plenty of compliance around here. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness i mean and, hey that's that's why i'm at it you know you know we joke about it we joke about it and actually our compliance officers are great and fun guys to go out with too which that's that's rare usually they're uh they're pretty they're pretty straight laced but they're, they're they're super guys and uh so uh, as an example like i'll have to send this to him when it's out just so he's aware of it and you better believe i know i didn't say anything wrong I'm going to send it to him and say, oh, I might have screwed up on this one. Just to let him sweat a little bit and then to listen to it and tell me I'm fine. And <laughs> but you guarantee I'm going to give him a hard time with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Technically, he's my boss. <laughs> Um, well, we always have certain deals going on. Um, the one deal that we're just raising money for right now is, uh, where are you located, by the way? 
Oh, okay. So the one deal we're working on is a beverage company. It's called uh, Trio, T-R-E-O. Think of it like a, a buy flavored water type thing. Um, they're the only one, they're the only company in the United States that uses um, birch water, so water from a birch tree, that's naturally sweet. So it has, they have to say, virtually no calories. I think there's under 10 calories. Um, and virtually, you know, almost no sugar, although it's just a tiny bit of sugar, but it's a very healthy flavored water. It has di different flavors. Um, their big uh, partner, it's not a brand ambassador, their big partner is the singer-performer Jason Narulo. Um, so uh, he, he's the big guy out there. Uh, it was brought to us through our CEO. Um, he knows the family that started it, uh, which is actually the the son and nephew of the guy that started Snapple, the two guys that started Snapple. It's, it's right. It, it, and I hate beverage deals. You know, it's just such a competitive space. This was really unique in that through the Snapple connections, they got in with Pepsi distribution in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. And the, the leading Pepsi distributor is also an investor in the company. Um, so you already can see the natural exit. Yeah, you can see the natural exit plan too for the investment. Um, but uh, we've been trying to raise money for them. It's gone a little slow because everybody says the same thing. It's a liquidity. It's, a, it's probably a five-year, four or five-year hold, even though they'll tell you it's not. They want to be out in two. But, you know, you got to plan for a four or five-year hold. Um, and it's a beverage deal. Um, just recently, they signed, uh, they had a trial run with Target and now going into 1,800 Target stores. And they just got into Walmart and they're doing their first order. Eight. So next month, they'll do more in sales than they did. Yeah, and you're getting in at the same valuation as before the Walmart Target deal. So once once we had that, now it becomes a, 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 yeah, a big thing. Um, when you get to more plain vanilla, not plain vanilla alternatives, you know, not private equity type things, um, just about all our clients are going into a, uh, a, a wireless deal. Um, it's nice because come once they strike a new NAV in June, it has full liquidity. Um, it's, so it's a perpetual fund. Uh, they buy cell towers. Um, and their tenants are AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. So as you're looking into, you know, going into a recession, what type of assets do we want to own that are kind of recession-proof? Well, you know, there's a study that came out that said in a recession, people will pay their cell phone bills before they pay their mortgage and rent. So we're not really worried about AT&T and T. Yeah, yeah, it's scary, it's scary enough. Um, AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile will continue to pay the rent for the cell towers because they're not going to have a signal if they don't. Um, but they're, this company, they look at cell towers that are able to be upgraded. So think of buying real estate that you can, think of buying apartment building that you're going to upgrade and retenant. So they're buying towers that maybe has AT&T as a tenant and it's 4G. AT&T wants to put in 5G, which is a 30% rent bump. And then they're going to add Verizon and T-Mobile to the same tower. So it, if you put that in the multifamily world, it's like buying an apartment building, upgrading it, and then putting three families in the same apartment. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so, so you could take, um, there, it, it's a perpetual fund, so, but right now they're at 150 million they're gonna raise. You know, we have clients that go in for 100, 200,000. Um, so it's not just for, you know, we, we have, we have a lot of clients, you know, we work with ultra high net worth, but we have a lot of clients that, you know, $5 million accounts or $8 million accounts that we may only put, you know, 300 into a fund like that. Um, because we're only taking 20% of their assets and putting in alts and that's including private equity. So, um, but that's a fund. It, it throws off a five and a quarter. I think it's going up to five and a half yield. They'll have special dividends every year. We call it like a 13th dividend um, that they'll throw off as they upgrade the towers. Um, but really it's the NAV. So it's a kind of a steady little bit of income play, but that NAV will continue to rise. And right now it's a set NAV till June. So we kind of know what they've already bought and upgraded over the last five or six months. So we know the NAV is going up. 
because when you buy a package of cell towers, uh, you know, for two and a half million, and then you add seven more leases to it, you know, it's worth seven million now. Um, so we know they're going to significantly upgrade it. Yeah. We had SpaceX, we, we work with a company called, we have a couple companies, but we work with a company called Investex. And, um, oh yeah, so you know, oh yeah, yeah. So, so um, we had SpaceX on the platform through Marcus. Um, that's right, I did see that. I think you, I think you had him on the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so we work with them. Uh, um, they also do, uh, as an example, on this TRIO deal, uh, they just did the SPV for us for the $10 million raise. Um, we just used them to structure the SPV, gave them a fee to do it. Um, you know, it's kind of already boilerplate for them. Their fee is relatively low, so why, recre why recreate the wheel? We could have our investment banking guys do it, but it's just easy to do it through Investex. In that way, if we had, uh, you know, now it comes out that uh, we're probably not going to do the, use the SPV in the investment because somebody's going to take the whole piece. Um, but let's just say we raised 10 million from 25 clients. You know, if somebody wanted to a year from now sell their shares in that SPV, we can put it on Marcus's platform to sell. You know, he has the gem platform where they could trade. So we could put it we could put it on his platform to sell. So that's a, a unique thing. They're 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 a good shop. So uh so we 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 work with them. Yeah, and, and and their office is like a mile down the street from us. They're right over uh, in their New York City office. Yeah, their their New York City office, and um, and coincidentally, my son, who's a junior in college, uh, interned there last year. So he 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 worked at Investex. He worked at Investex all last summer. Yeah, he worked, uh, she's no longer there. He worked with Lindsay Osgood, who was um, Brian Schaefer. Brian's not there anymore either. Uh, kind of Brian, she was Brian Schaefer's right-hand man. Um, he really helped with all the pitch decks and uh, some of the research they were doing before they put something on the platform because they really do some extensive due diligence um, and then worked. So it, it, it was kind of unique because he got, you know, it's a nice having an internship in a small company like that because it's not, it's not boilerplate. You're going to go from here to here to here to here. Like this summer, he's going to work for Cantor Fitzgerald. And it's, you know, 10 weeks. You work on three different desks, and it's very structured, which would be great for him. Last, last year, it was not structured. It was fly by the seat of your pants. This is what we need. Go get your hands dirty, which was a great, it's a great training ground. And then, and then other times, it's, you, you know, he's at, uh, he's at Virtue Financial, Sitting in Doug Doug Sifu, the CEO of Virtue Financial, who owns the Florida Panthers, and my son's a hockey player. You know, he's like he's like, yeah, I'm sitting in Doug Sifu's office today, talking uh, talking Florida Panthers, and uh, I told him they need more toughness on their team. <laughs> so so it was really and, and Doug loved him. Doug, Doug loved him. He's like he's like, how about we're at Virtue because Virtue owns a piece of uh, Investex. He goes, how about we're at Virtue today? And I'm sitting in the conference room and uh, Doug walks in and tells me, hey, make sure I get my lunch order in. You know, they're ordering lunch for everybody out there. And uh, he's like, this guy's a CEO of Virtue Financial. He's in the Wall Street Journal today because he's at war with the head of the SEC. <laughs> and he's making sure I got lunch. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, those guys... Uh, Investex is a, is a good group. They've been uh, a big help to us 
um, on our side. So uh, uh, I was sorry to see Lindsay and uh, Brian Schaefer go, but uh, um, you know it's been a tough year too for the uh, IPO market. Like they're you know they're one sitting there like come on let's have some of these you know let's have some of these have a liquidity event. Absolutely. If you next time you're in New York, please hit me up. We'll go for go for a drink or a coffee or a meal. Uh, I'd love to uh, to meet you in person. Um, I was almost in Jacksonville last weekend too, and uh, I had to pass. I had a uh, uh, good good family friend in the hockey world. Um, his son, who I coached years ago, is a senior defenseman at uh, West Point. Um, and he signed a contract with uh, Jacksonville in the East Coast League, and was just down there for was just down there for two weeks. I forgot what they call him, the Iceman. I think they're the Jacksonville Iceman. Um, and his and his dad asked me uh, if I wanted to go down this weekend to see him play, and then I couldn't make the dates work. But uh, uh, yeah, I was almost in Jacksonville to see him play. He was he was only there for two weeks, and the Army wants him back. So. Um, but uh, he loved it. He was like, "What?" He was like, "What a great time Jacksonville was." He, he absolutely loved it down there. So. Yeah, or or even Tampa. Yeah, even Tampa. You hear about the growth in Tampa, St. Pete, and everybody loves it there. Jacksonville is. It sounds like it's kind of the hidden gem. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it.